You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. As Will said, I do teach middle school math and robotics, and generally when I tell people that, I get groans of sympathy, groans of how terrible it must be to work with that age group and how difficult they may be. And I've heard seventh graders compared to a jar of bees that have been shaken up and just released into the world, but I like middle schoolers. Um, I feel they're at this really special age where they're young enough to still get excited about school, they're not too cool for school yet, but they're old enough to where I feel I can begin to connect with them a little bit more than the students that I taught when I taught elementary school. They are very sweet as well. This last uh, week I was decluttering and I found all these little notes and they always write these little acrostic poems where they'll put your name like T-H-O-M and T is for teacher and H is for hardworking and all these things and they're really sweet at that age. They're definitely all over the place though. In one minute they're telling you about their new puppy and how excited they are and then the next minute they're telling you how they think that their friend is upset with them but their friend's not actually upset with them but because they thought their friend was upset with them their friend was actually kind of got upset with them and then the next moment they're asking you to check out their new yo-yo trick. When I first read this psalm I sort of felt that same sort of vibe. One moment, the author is talking about trusting God, asking God to teach him. And then he switches to third person and talks about who God teaches. And then back to first person, asking God to be gracious with him, consider his enemies. And then it seems to just end with, oh, and redeem Israel. And to top it off, the psalm was actually an acrostic poem where every verse is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But as I began to study the psalm, I started to see that these were not random musings in the form of an acrostic poem. That this was, Psalm 25 is a, a rich picture painted by God's anointed king of what it looks like and what it means to pray. This psalm was written by David, as a lot of them are. This is the same David from the story of David and Goliath, uh, but this is written a lot later in his life, possibly near the end of his life. It's one of nine acrostic psalms uh, it, you can't tell it's an acrostic after it's been translated to English, but there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and you'll see that there are 22 verses in this psalm. This acrostic psalm is in the form of a prayer, and while David is not saying this is how you pray, we can see this psalm in a lot of other psalms as a model of what it could and what it should look like to pray. And we need these models because if we're honest... We have a hard time with prayer. Often I find I pray because I feel guilty. If uh, God's going to be disappointed with me if I don't pray. And then, and then if I do pray, then God will be happy with me. My wife Sarah has shared with me that she experiences this anxiety around prayer. Where if she's praying for the health and the safety of her friends and her family member. Well, what about the friends and the family members that I don't pray for? And she begins to feel overwhelmed. There's a lot of things that point to the reality that a lot of us struggle with prayer. And what drew me to this psalm was not only was it a prayer, but it also taught us how to pray. 
We're not going to look at every single verse in this psalm, but I want to pull out three of the things that I feel this psalm says about prayer, uh, and kind of we'll be jumping around the psalm to kind of see where those things are in this psalm. To put it simply, the three things we'll be looking at is in the context of understanding that prayer is personal because God is personal. We're going to be looking at prayer as coming to God, prayer as asking God for things, and prayer as trusting God. Prayer is coming to God, prayer is asking God for things, and prayer is trusting God. So let's talk about coming to God. It seems it should go without saying that prayer is coming to God. But often prayer kind of turns into us getting things off our chest. Prayer turns into just thinking out loud. And it's worth reminding ourselves that we are interacting with a God who hears us. The prayer is coming to the God of creation. It's looking to the God of our salvation. It's turning our eyes to the one true God. We see this in the opening line of the psalm. Look right at verse 1. David says, to you, I lift my soul. You see it down in verse 15. He says, my eyes are ever towards the Lord. The posture of looking at someone is communicating, I see you, I hear you, I'm listening to you, I'm paying attention to you. In my advisory, which is like homeroom, One day of the week, all of us go around and one person at a time shares their highs and their lows for the week. And as that person's sharing, the rest of us, with our posture, are showing that we're listening. We're looking at that person. We're not doodling. We're not on our devices. We're not working on anything else. We are looking at them. We're saying, I see you. I hear you. I'm listening to you. In prayer, this is why we bow our heads or we get on our knees or we lift our hands up to God. It's a physical representation of what we hope is happening on the inside, a physical representation of coming to God, of looking to God, of giving God our attention. That's the foundation of prayer. Prayer is coming to God when we have a lot of other places that we could go. We go to inspiring TED Talks. We can go to the advice of our friends. We can go to that beautiful little search box of Google. But David comes to God. Those aren't bad places to go. It's not as good as coming to God. From the psalm, you can tell that David is not in the best place. In verse 2, he says, Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. There are these enemies around that are trying to exalt over him. He's praying that they would not be able to celebrate in triumph against him. In verse 15 and 16, he says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. David's not in a good place. He's lonely. He's hated. His feet are in a net. He's caught up in something. He's struggling. And things are out of his control, so what does he do? He turns to God. 
Our tendency is to do just about everything but turn to God. Our tendency is to regain control of things, to, to make things right, to fix things on our own. We'll come to prayer as a last resort. And what's funny is that even when prayer is a last resort, God is still faithful to answer prayer. What if we resisted the temptation to take control and to fix things and instead just came to God? Something that I've done for myself to kind of get in this mindset of understanding who I'm coming to and who, I'm approaching to, who I am approaching is going through the ACTS prayer, the A-C-T-S prayer, where A stands for adoration, C stands for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication, which is just a word that means what you ask God for. I'm not going to focus on each aspect of this prayer. I want to focus mainly on that first one, the A for adoration. And what that sounds like when I pray is, God, you are good. God, you are just. God, you hold on to your people. God, you are blank. God, you do blank. This is to remind myself who I'm coming to. Having this as a framework before confession, before thanksgiving, before supplication, it helps me to actually begin to trust in God as I'm turning to Him. So what about you? Has prayer become impersonal in some way? The good news is that in Christ you are a child of God and like a father longs to hear from his children, God is eager to answer and hear your prayers. You can simply go to him like a child goes to her father. So that's the first thing. Prayer is coming to God. But then what? Gets us to our second point. Prayer is asking God for things. And while it's not just asking God for things, it's definitely a part of what prayer is. Even Jesus says this when he says, even you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what do we ask for? Really anything we want, but I want to focus on two of the things that we see David asking for in this prayer because I feel that these two things are representative of a lot of the things that we ask for in our own prayer. David asks for wisdom, and David asks for help. God, what do I do in this situation? And God, help me in this situation that I'm in. Let's see where he asks for wisdom. In verse 4 and 5, David says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. So what is David asking for here? He wants to know the truth, but it's more than that. He wants to know God's ways. He wants God to lead him in the truth. That's wisdom. The difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowledge, I know what God says, and wisdom is, I know how to apply that in real life. 
That's what David wants, and he knows that he can only get that wisdom from God. So he comes to God, and he asks for wisdom. James, the brother of Jesus, says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We all want wisdom. We all want to know what to do in all kinds of situations. The thing about wisdom is that it comes over time. It comes out of a relationship that is growing with God. It comes from beginning to learn how God acts and thinks and operates over time. This is not a one-off request for David. You see him praying prayers like this over and over and over again in the Psalms. Because he understands that he's creating this foundation of coming to God and attuning himself so he can come regularly and hear from God and recognize his voice. You get wisdom over time. It's a lot like going to the gym. When you go to the gym every couple of months because you feel guilty, you don't develop the strength in any meaningful or any lasting way. Even when I tried to start going to the gym without a plan, I would go one day and do one exercise and maybe run the next day and not really sure what to do the day after that and I would kind of fizzle out and I wasn't able to build up any sort of momentum or any sort of context for gaining strength over time. Eventually, I came up with a plan. This is what I'm doing this day. I'm going to run on that day. I'm going to swim on that day. And then I could do this over and over again. And exercise became the context in which I was able to gain strength over time. In the same way, the exercise of prayer is the context from which we gain wisdom over time. Sometimes my prayer life suffers from that lack of direction and that focus, a lot like the trips to the gym where I would just go and do whatever. I wasn't able to to pray in a way that cultivated wisdom over time, so for me, I developed a plan. I started using these little note cards where every day of the week had its own note card. First card said Sunday, and there was a bullet point list of things to pray for the church, pray for our gospel communities, praying for our pastors, praying for the ministries that my friends are in, praying for courage to make disciples and grow the church, prayed for all the things related to the church on Sunday. Monday was a card, marriage, bullet point list. Tuesday, health. Wednesday, the future. Thursday, Thanksgiving. Friday, prayers for my friends, and Saturday, prayers for my students. For me, in my personality, that helped alleviate this guilt that I wasn't praying for all the things and all the times and all the prayers. But more importantly than that, it helped me develop this habit of just coming to God regularly and asking Him for things and allowing Him to impart wisdom over days and months and years. The exercise of prayer is the context in which we gain wisdom over time. So David asks for wisdom. He also asks God for help. Look at verse 20. David says, O guard my soul and deliver me 
Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. When David says, deliver me, he's asking God, make things right. He's got these enemies that are after him. He's lonely. He's afflicted. Deliver me, God. Make things right. He wants help. We pray these kinds of prayers all the time. However, when we pray this, we generally want deliverance on our terms. We want deliverance to look like what we think it should look like in the timetable that we think it should happen in. But deliverance is on God's terms. Even Jesus says to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Deliverance on God's terms may not look like what we expect it to. God's eager to help us, but he will do it on his terms, and it will be for our highest good. In both my math and robotics classes, when students come to me with a question, I generally respond with more questions. What did you do? Why do you think it didn't work? What resources have you used? What do your peers think? They love it when I do this. <laughs> but I'm doing this for a reason because I know they're coming to me and saying, I'm confused, Tom. Make things better for me right now. And for them, that looks like me telling them the answer. But I know if I tell them the answer, I rob them from the opportunity to actually think critically about the problem they're working through and the opportunity to actually discover that on their own. Their deliverance is coming. But it's not going to come in the way they think it's going to come, it's often going to involve more patience and more struggle than they anticipated. I think deliverance from God can sometimes look like that. He lets us struggle. He lets us wait. But it's for our good. We all want to know what to do. We all want God's help. These are common prayers, but the two important questions for us to consider are, are you creating a foundation of wisdom through the faithful exercise of prayer over time? And are you willing to wait for God's help on God's terms? Prayer is coming to God. Prayer is asking God for things. And finally, prayer is trusting God. When we come to God, we're trusting that he's the best place to go. When we ask God for things, we're trusting that the things he gives us will be good. Trust is essential to prayer. So how do you go and trust? Let's look at what David does. All throughout the psalm, you see David reminding himself of the promises and the characteristics of God. I want to walk through some of these so we can, so we can see how often this actually happens. Look at verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. He's reminding himself of who God is and what God has done. Verse 6, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. 
So God's love and his faithfulness have been on display throughout history over and over again. He's reminding himself of these things. Now look at what he says to be true about God, how God deals with us, even in our failure. Verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. In verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Among all the ways that he can go in life, David knows and trusts this. I can trust God's word and I can trust God's path because all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Wherever God takes you, that is a good path. And this is coming from a guy who's not in the best place. David's confidence is not in himself. It's not on how much he's been crushing it at the faith game. He's saying, don't deal with me according to my sin, otherwise I'm in trouble. If this depends on how well I'm doing and how little I'm sinning, then it will not go well for me because I'm not dependable. But Lord, I appeal to your goodness. Deal with me according to your grace. Deal with me according to your love. Deal with me according to your goodness. Deal with me according to your uprightness. One of the reasons that we are slow to trust God is because we are thinking about our own failures. I had a friend in college where after we moved, he went up to Kansas and he was one of the best conversationalists I knew. I loved talking to him. I would chat with him for a couple of hours every few months just to catch up and see how things were going. And a few months after we departed, I stopped hearing from him. I'd call, I'd text, hey Aaron, what's going on? Just seeing how you're doing? Call me back. And I wouldn't hear anything. Then eventually... He got back to me, and he said, I wanted to call you back, but so much time had passed, I felt really terrible about it, so I didn't call you back. His failure to call me back is what kept him from calling me back. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our failure to go to God that it keeps us from going to God. I don't know if my friend thought I wouldn't answer or if he thought I would have been upset with him, but the reality was I just wanted to talk to him. The gospel story is that God has made a way for us to come to him through faith in Jesus. God has made a way for you to come to him. And if you're hesitant to trust him because you're thinking about your own failures, you may just need to hear this simple truth today. God actually likes you and wants to answer your prayers. I love the simplicity of this psalm. When it comes to prayer, I usually 
really in my head where I feel really guilty if I'm not praying or I feel really self-righteous if I am praying. And Psalm 25 cuts through that. Prayer is simply coming to God. Prayer is asking God for things. And prayer is trusting God. It's so simple that we can do it right now. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.